Sometimes it's compelling to do a deep dive into a fascinating ingredient. We can take that journey vicariously as we listen to Tenny Flynn, chef, founder of GW Fins in New Orleans, author of a terrific cookbook about fish, and a person who is fascinated by vanilla. It's on tip of the tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. Welcome. Thank you. So uh, I know that we probably will have a freewheeling conversation here, but I want to start off by talking to you about your past few months in Mexico. In Mexico, I did a car camping trip or truck camping crib for a couple months, and I had an end date. And towards the end of it, I started to feel rushed. So <laughs> when I went to Mexico, we just had one-way tickets. So we just came back when we, when we got ready to. And ostensibly, I was going there to research vanilla. Mm-hmm. And uh, real quick, uh, I bought vanilla and saffron from a guy in San Francisco for over 30 years. I bought it from him when I was at Ruth's Chris. Always had the best prices, and he was somewhat verbose. You know, he'd get on the phone every once in a while, and he'd have to tell you about the saffron market. But he had the best vanilla beans and the and the best Iranian and Afghani saffron. And I had a clue that that he was going to be long winded. But three or four years ago, I called him up and I said, "Why the hell did the price of vanilla beans just quintuple?" And he told me for about thirty minutes. Uh-huh. You know, it's the the cartels, bean theft in Mexico. It's the weather in in Madagascar, it's something in Tahiti, and he just went on and on. The perfect storm. And I tried to get uh, Brett Anderson interested in writing a story about it, and he because it's it was very interesting to me, and he never did. So when I retired, I wrote a cookbook, and I know the the uh, deep end of flavor, and the recipe testing was very tedious, but I found I enjoyed the writing part, mm-hmm. and I said this is something I might want to look into. So on our car truck camping trip, I, I visited Juan Vanilla Saffron Imports in the Mission District in San Francisco, a little storefront, a little dusty back street, and went in there. He must have had $3 million worth of product in there. Wow. It was absolutely amazing. And he held forth for two hours. I, <laughs> I taped it, found out he was a former history professor. He was also a Basque Spaniard who bailed out of Spain when he was 15, so he didn't get drafted into Franco's army, who was drafting all the 16-year-olds there. Just a fascinating dude. And he was unpacking hundreds of pounds of vanilla from New Guinea. I had no idea vanilla came from New Guinea. And I started doing the armchair research. And vanilla is indigenous to the Veracruz state of Mexico. And when Cortez showed up there about 550 years ago, he liked it. It was an ingredient in the chocolate drink. Took it back to, uh, you know. Spain? Took it Europe? back to Spain, yeah. Oh. And, and and then the, the colonials started to try to grow it in other areas that they stole. Mm-hmm. And it took 250 years for them to figure out how to pollinate it because there's a bee in Veracruz 
And then I got into bees. Did you know there's six thousand species of bees in I America? Did not I did not know either. That. <laughs> <laughs> the deeper I got into this, the more I realized that what I didn't know. But a young slave figured out how to hand pollinate it. Uh, it's the it's the seed pot of an orchid, mm-hmm. and it grows on a vine. The vine's fairly easy to grow, and now pretty much everybody hand pollinates it. But but in Veracruz, the bees do it. No, there's still some for genetic diversity mainly. It's not as reliable, mm-hmm. you know, as the hand pollination. Mm-hmm. You plant the vine, uh, it, it goes up, and I saw four different growing methods you know we we went way the hell out in the country Uh on this first one and i mean all these rutted dirt roads for miles and miles and then had to and i had the wrong shoes on too i had cowboy boots on walking uphill in the mud and uh, so we got to the guy's house and he took us out in his plot i mean it wasn't about a half an acre or so and the vines were trained to go up trees that were about five feet tall and I asked him, and I had an interpreter too. It wasn't really an interpreter; it was a guy that spoke Spanish. So, and my Spanish is practically non-existent. My partner's is conversational to you know get us in and out of you know bus stations and hotels right. and restaurants and everything. And I asked him about the crop theft, and he said, "All my neighbors know you're here." And the the country kind of reminded me of the Tennessee Hills a little bit, anyway. And he said, "You know." We watch out for each other mm-hmm. and kind of left it at that. And then he took me further up another hill to this little shack. And it was just like somebody taking you to see their steel. Uh-huh. And he had a big stainless steel hopper and electronic timer and everything, which was definitely in Congress with the, the surroundings. Mm-hmm. But he also had concrete pads. When the beans have stayed on the vine for about nine months and they start to color a little bit, they pick them. And then they dry them out on mats in the sun for a day and then they bring them inside and then they dry them out and it's a process lose about 80 percent of the weight at that point and i've got pictures of me sitting on a, on a table a long table with about 15 kilos of beans he had another 100 or so in the back and he makes a vanilla liqueur mm-hmm. um, very nice people um I saw another growing operation that was kind of covered, and this guy just grew, he, he didn't cure them. He just grew green beans and gave them to somebody else to cure. Mm-hmm. I saw another operation, uh, Gaia, which is a, a fairly well-known vanilla processor, where they do greenhouse growing and sort of kiln drying. Um, another one the guy did all wild. Um, and then I went to several different government or co-op sort of organizations that are purported to provide support for the farmers and they all hated each other and talked bad about each other <laughs> i'm not sure how that's going to enter into anything i write but i found out real fast there's a whole lot of difference between field research and armchair research yeah and a lot of the articles i've read are, are kind of fluff and and i really don't want to you know, I want to find out what's going on, and I, I'm letting I'm letting Juan vet all my the the guy Vanilla Saffron guy in San Francisco vet all my writing, so he can tell me what's what. Um, and I've got a little bit of an in with National Geographic and perhaps Wall Street Journal, so I think I might actually even get paid for writing an oh, article. That would be, be exciting. Yeah.
And then if I if I don't get, you know, if everybody rejects me, then I'll give it to Louisiana Kitchen and Culture. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you write a long-form piece, you might even put it in uh, Culinaria, which is our, our uh Well, and, and, you know, if I get an article, it might get a book deal. Don't know. I have to get rejected by my current publisher, though they have right of first refusal. Mm-hmm. They're rather puritanical. They're from Utah. So. <laughs> so, uh, so was there a big difference in flavor whether it was kiln dried or cured, I, I couldn't really ways. tell about that. But the uh, they they do. He had one little line of plants, a little bit like noble rot. He lets them sit, and they develop little crystals, mm-hmm. and it's the highest vanillin content. But the, the longer you leave them on the vine, the more vanillin that's uh, that that's develops. developed. Mm-hmm. And but if they split, that's the and I, I got some splits. That's the absolute best flavor and aroma and everything, but they're they're more fragile. They're more prone to mold. And, sure. Yeah. But traveling around Mexico was a trip. I really changed my attitude about Mexico. And I'd been there several times before and certainly love working with Mexican people and love the food. But I, I always had kind of a superior attitude, I think, that, you know, this is kind of a backward country and, you know, it's poverty stricken and so I, mean, I got to tell you, there are a lot of places in Mexico that are nicer than the U.S. Mexico sure. City is the biggest city in America, mm-hmm. um, and it is a world-class city. Um, so I kind of lost that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm glad to be home, though, after, after three months. Well, sometimes, too, it, it can be taxing to not speak the language. Yeah, and I was not staying in the swankiest of digs, either. We did a lot of Airbnbs and... Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so the, you know, got to got to go down, turn on the propane, then light the pile of the hot water <laughs> heater and crank that up. And, right. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, deal with the you know, deal with the water and whatnot. Had some great food. Um, did a six hour mole class in Oaxaca. Ooh. Brought the ingredients back for that. Uh, brought some corn back, and I, I got a bag of cow, you know, which they used to make the. Next to mall, yes, and it's a bag of white rocks, and I was thinking customs is gonna <laughs> is gonna really give me some grief about this. I know, but they didn't check anything. We breezed right on through. At one time, I brought back some amaranth that had been cooked down with honey, you know, and it, it, until the honey crystallizes and it gets hard, and you break off a piece, and it's it's candy essentially. And I came back through and. Customs people kept saying, what is this? What is this? And I kept saying, it's candy. <laughs> and they finally ate some. And I mean, I, I, I said, here, break a piece, eat it. And so then they let it through. Well, I got a lot of residual guilt from my misspent use. I always feel nervous whenever I get around judges and police and <laughs> customs people. But I, I, I carried no contraband. We did bring back some vanilla liqueur. Um, you know, I don't drink, but uh, Colleen got some... Uh, she went to a mezcal tasting and got a bunch of different varieties of mezcal. Mm-hmm. So what what is the upshot of what you learned? Well, that's a great question. I mean, I feel like that's a starting point. I feel like I had to go there first because that's where it's from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the growing operations are very similar around the world. I mean, I very well may go to Madagascar which I read something that said that the only place with worse infrastructure than that was Nepal. So, uh, I mean, the poverty there is desperate. You know, chefs and growers and winemakers are all kind of like in that there's a reverence for wonderful product. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, to me, that is the ultimate marketing tool. Mm-hmm. If you have the best of, of something, there are people that are going to appreciate it. Right. And I have been told that vanilla likes it better there, you know, because that's where that's its home. Uh-huh. Um, and it's an interesting, the whole vanilla thing, you know, the, the whole connotation of vanilla being white and plain and boring and one-dimensional is, uh, I guess, lousy vanilla ice cream or something. But it, it's an incredibly rich, nuanced complicated aromatic thing i mean it's cured like good tobacco almost and uh, the flavors and aromas that develop are, are just incredible and so did you come to understand why the price had really gone up as much or did you just come back saying i have a new appreciation for well, vanilla it's uh i mean i was asking these people uh really softball questions like is does can people make a living with this market price and you know fishermen and farmers always poor mouth sure you know it's just like they never had a good year going to be the last generation on the family (laughs) farm i can't buy gas from a boat you know well you know and i I think they're taught that at a very early age so it's a little bit hard to tell watching the growing pro it's it's a long growing process these orchids flower once you got to be there and pollinate them. Nine months later, you get a pod. If the pod matures on the vine, then you have to dry it. Then you use lose 80% of the volume when it's dried. I mean, there's no way to do it cheaply. Right. Um, vanilla saffron guy did tell me pretty much that it didn't matter so much where it came from. It mattered how long it matured on the vine. Mm-hmm. And there are those that, that pick it green pick it immature it does dry out it looks like vanilla but the the vanilla content no is not there yeah so so did you feel that this was something i mean it, it doesn't sound to me based on what you're telling me that anywhere it's something that you would consider mass produced or anything like that I don't think so. And, and even to my untrained eye, the plants in the big the greenhouse operation didn't look nearly as healthy as the plants um, out, out in the in woods. The yeah. yeah, I mean it's the woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. But I mean, the, the proof's in the eating, you know. Yeah. And um, you know, I've got I've got different beans from different parts of the world. I'm having a lot of fun playing with them. And, you know, there's a government standard for extract. Mm-hmm. It's 13 ounces of beans, a gallon of liquid, which is 65% ethanol, 35% water, end of story. That's one-fold, two-fold, twice as much, so on and so forth. There's a product out um, called vanilla paste, mm-hmm. which is – and nobody would ever tell me. They didn't, they'd never admit what it was, but there is no standard for it. And – Sometimes it says vanilla powder. Well, that's that's the the pods, mm-hmm. which do have a lot of flavor. Mm-hmm. But if you and and I asked the I asked the guy when he was you know his agitator, his stainless steel extract maker, when uh, when you're done with that, what happens to the pods, which are all soft and mushy, I guess, because mm-hmm. they've been you know whirled around in this in this vat. And he said he sold them to a uh, confectionery place and then at at Gaia I tried to get the person to tell me what what was actually in their vanilla paste but it's 
you know, it's little black specks, but it's not vanilla seeds. It's ground up pods, mm-hmm. and it's much cheaper. And a lot of people use that. I guess in a big operation, nobody's got time to scrape all the beans. Right. And plus, it's cheaper. Right, right. I make a, uh, a vanilla syrup out of the pods I have, which I can use for flavoring a lot of stuff. And I, I never figured out what to do with the vanilla sugar. You know, they tell you to put vanilla, you know, vanilla beans in the sugar. But um, I'm having fun playing with it. And and there are a lot of savory applications that uh, that is fun to work with too. Yeah. You know, it's great with lobster. It's great with lionfish. Uh, you know, uh, it's a it's sort of a finishing thing. You know. Right. Yeah. I've got a friend's bringing me some deer necks and. Uh, hearts and livers in a couple of days so i might even put some vanilla in the deer necks this time who knows yeah so what is your next project besides writing this article well i want to go diving in dominica for a month but after my son gets back from his honeymoon but uh, i'm going to keep this up Uh, i'm going to try for an article Mm -hmm. and i do have some real writers that can you know sort of take my my notes and uh, give me direction mm-hmm. and uh, you know if i get a deal fine if not you know it's fun to do so do you have a point of view or a, a point that you're trying to make or is it just kind of this is my exploration well that uh, you know getting back to the the highest quality you know because an artificial vanilla is such a huge thing right you know well that to me, life is too short to to use bad ingredients. <laughs> you know, it's uh, whether it's uh, for the drinkers, whether it's you know spirits or wine. I know people get very you know religious about that. Certainly, uh, good cheese, good bread, good cigars, mm-hmm. good coffee. Right. You know, um, and and I think there's a you know, maybe show that uh, this is why this is such a an expensive thing. Because if you get the good stuff, it really is worth it, and it's a natural thing, and it's. Uh, and you only use a little bit. Yeah, I did a. Uh, I got paid to do very well paid to. Uh, there was a, a, a food chemistry show in town a few years ago, and I mean it's not just. You know, it's not just fast food that, that they're adding these chemical additives to. They're boosting the flavor of a lot of different things, you know. And it's like I, I remember giving real maple syrup to kids who'd never had it. And, you know, the, generally they'd say it's not mapley enough, uh, you know, because uh. of the they're used to the boosted. Uh, and, and to me, you know, really good natural flavors can't be duplicated. Mm-hmm. We'll see how it yeah. works out. I, I, I really don't know what direction it's going in. Uh, and so besides the vanilla, do you have any other projects on the horizon? Well, I don't know if you call it a project, but uh, this trip got postponed this year, so I'm doing it, doing it next year. Uh, I'm spending a couple of weeks in uh, Kauai with my culinary school roommate and then going to Bangkok and then going to six or eight weeks around Southeast Asia, and I'm working my way down to West Papua, New Guinea, where now I can look at vanilla. But I'm, I've got a dive trip booked in Raja Ampat uh, about this time next year. So that sounds really retirement really, doesn't suck. No, that's right. It sounds like you have really great plans, really great plans scheduled. 
And so will that result in another article, you think? I don't know. I think that might make it easier to charge it off of my taxes. Probably, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think at some point you have to show income from writing to be able to, to do that successfully. But uh, Well, you probably have a few years of grace while you're building up your career in well, writing. Well, one would hope. And, and I'm not going to have to worry. Let's just say I'm not going to have to worry about my tax burden this year from the restaurant. GW Fins is surviving. Mm -hmm. You know, it's barely, barely in the black, which... Uh, but it is in the black. It That's in the great black. news. A couple of dollars. You know, they've done a great job. Chef Mike Nelson, who basically ran the place the last two or three years I was there anyway, is a very talented guy, doing a lot of great stuff. The food is good. You know, and it's a spacious dining room anyway. If you take half the tables out of it, mm -hmm. you know, it's uh, there's plenty of room. Everybody masks religiously front and back of the house. So mm -hmm. if you go out to eat, it's as safe as anywhere. And he's... You know, still getting incredible fish from spear fishermen. I really missed fresh fish when I was down there. As a matter of fact, I think I'm going to eat there this evening. Oh, well, that sounds, that's the best endorsement, right? That you're going to your own restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. How about the other places? How are other places faring that you know of? Well, some of them, you know, ain't there no more or no. you know and there's a lot of businesses not just restaurants if you cut off the cash flow for 60 days you're done right you know you just don't have you know you don't have the reserves and i don't see how anybody could open at 25 percent capacity or anything like that either because you, you just can't make it no, and you want to keep everybody employed that you possibly can. You know, it's just a tough time. It's an unprecedented time, and uh, I hope we all get vaccinated soon. And I think the day, you know, the, the weekend tourists will come back in force immediately, but the festivals and conventions, you know. Those are years away. Yeah, yeah. they're going to, they don't book, you know, so. Well, and I wonder, too, whether some of them will continue to be the kinds of festivals and Maybe the festivals can return, but I worry about some of the business travel where people have gotten used to Zoom meetings and such. And, uh, well, and I think there's going to be a lot of office real estate that's uh, suddenly going to be turned into condos, too. But, yeah. uh, I agree. I don't know. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a changing sort of thing. I, I, All will be revealed. I, <laughs> I know. I, I do think just looking into the unknown is really, really frightening. But I also think that there are hopeful signs for 2021. So even if it doesn't start on January 1st, I'm hopeful. I think by third quarter we'll be, we'll be back. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, but I live in the quarter, and then, you know, it's, it's a ghost town some days. Yes. And, of course, on other days there are a lot of out-of-town people running around with their masks off, too. So, you know. It, yeah. Yeah. Mexico was took it much more seriously than we do here in the States. There were feet sanitizers. They'd spray you down, turn around, spray the other side, hand goo, take your temperature. And whether or not that actually, and universal masking, whether or not that actually prevents 100%, it still makes you feel a whole lot safer. Well, and it, it reminds you all the time yeah. not to let your guard down. Yeah. And I rode buses and I rode planes and, you know, I'll get tested after I've been back a week or so. We just got back Christmas. Mm -hmm. 
I'm really excited to read your vanilla musings because I enjoyed <laughs> the vanilla musings that you first sent me. Well, it it was very disjointed, but I'm enjoying I'm enjoying doing it. And and when I wrote the cookbook, you know, I, I didn't take time off. I just got up early in the morning. I wrote about 45 minutes or an hour every morning. And if you do that religiously as a discipline, pretty soon you've got a whole lot of words. Right. So. I'm sure I'll be able to do that again. It's like that diet I'm going to go on in a, in a, next week. You know, <laughs> get rid of all this weight I picked up down there on the eating many, many tortillas and not so much dessert. I am not fond of Mexican desserts, I got to tell you. Did you wind up eating a lot because you were tasting the vanilla? No, there wasn't. Uh, people there don't really eat the vanilla. They sell it. Hmm. They make little necklaces out of it and little cardioterizers. And, uh, you know, they had... All sorts of paraphernalia, but uh, no, they. It's not part of their cuisine for the most part. I did have one dish in a uh, in a restaurant in uh, Papantla that used it, and I, I should be more organized to remember exactly what it was. But it was a uh, it was a it was a cream sauce that had mezcal and vanilla in it with shrimp and hot chilies, and boy, it was good. That sounds like a really fascinating combination. Did it also have that smoky taste of mezcal? You know, I don't, like I said, I'm not a drinker. Um, I qualified. I, I got drunk one time for 11 years, but uh, that was a long time ago. So, you know, by the time it's made into a sauce, I'm not sure if I can really analyze Right, it, you know? yeah, yeah. Get Colleen in here. She could tell you all about mezcal. Yeah. Oh, that sounds really, that sounds really, really good. So how are book sales doing? They tell me they're doing pretty good. When I, I, I ask the question, you know, at what point is sales do the, you know, residuals, whatever you call them, start kicking in. Right. And it sounded exactly like the record business. You know, I, I was sort of peripherally involved in the music business at one time and Oh, we, we got returns and we got discounts and basically, and I've talked to other people that said, you know, every quarter you'll get a check for $75 right, if you're lucky. Right, right, yeah. And I've also talked to many, many chefs who never, you know, the advance was it. They never saw They never saw anything But that's else. not why, that's not why I wrote it. It was basically a vehicle to get PR for a 19-year-old restaurant, which worked pretty well, I think. And I'm, I'm proud of the fact that they're tested recipes. They work which was very tedious. <laughs> well, but also you have recipes in there for fish that people don't eat all the time, which I think is really wonderful. Well, there are a lot more fish in the Gulf of Mexico that, that a lot of New Orleanians, I mean, there's still, I still run into people that don't know that we're the number two tuna processor in the U.S. Yeah. You know, after Hawaii. You know, oh, there's tuna? Yeah, it's Dulac tuna docks. I mean. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that we are sort of the the nursery for fish, even if it's caught in the Atlantic. It's we're the the place where well, and sixty six percent of the edible fin fish varieties in the United States come out of the Gulf, yeah. you know, which is more than you know East Coast, West Coast, right. Alaska, Hawaii all put together. Uh -huh. Alaska has more tonnage, but we have more varieties. Yeah, yeah. And, and the way that. The way that we're getting it, you know, from those spear fishermen is amazing. I think that's wonderful. I mean, you get fish that hasn't gone into rigor yet. It's just, I mean, the best sushi bar in the world doesn't get fish any fresher than that. Oh, wow. That and, and we're so lucky to be able to, uh, you know, to fish ourselves here, too. Yes, that that is really wonderful. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming.
and being here with me today. I'm really fascinated. I'm waiting for this article to come <laughs> to come to be about vanilla. And uh, tell us again the name of your book and where is it sold? Well, the name of the of the cookbook is The Deep End of Flavor. And if you want an autographed copy, it's sold at GW Fins. I have to go by there and, and do a few more boxes. It is available in bookstores and online as well. But course we'd rather have you buy it at the restaurant of course of course <laughs> i bought way too many books <laughs> well and i i i can give it an endorsement i mean I, it's really really well written as well as full of really innovative recipes and recipes as i say for fish that not everybody thinks of which i i remember as a as a kid going fishing with my parents um i had on my mother's side, Sicilian immigrants, and we would catch uh, squid, and we would smoke a Christmas eel and stuff like that that we caught in the lake or the chef or someplace like that. You know. Well, my contention about about fish varieties is almost everything. You know, way up in the ninety eight percent is good if it's fresh and properly prepared. Mm-hmm. And people have, you know, the whole idea of trash fish, you know, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're here today with Chef Tenny Flynn, and thanks so much for listening. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue. We come to you from the Camellia Bean Studio at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, part of the Nitty Grits Network. For more information on today's podcast, join the Tip of the Tongue podcast group on Facebook. Please come by when you're in New Orleans and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like it, let us know in the comments. This is Liz Williams.